Well, hello, Heritage. I want to welcome all of you at each of our locations, as well as those of you joining us online, to week number five of Heroes, a series where we've been looking at how we move from an ordinary life to an extraordinary one. But this is not only just week five of Heroes, this is also Palm Sunday weekend, where we recognize that almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus entered into Jerusalem for the last time. And as he did, people grabbed palm branches and waved them and dropped them before him, took their clothes off and dropped it before him as he rode in on the donkey. And they were singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was a beautiful moment that began what we call Passion Week or Holy Week, a series of just essential and critical events where God led his son to complete and fulfill the mission that he sent him for in the first place. And through Passion Week and Holy Week, we actually see parts of the hero's journey come out in it, and we continue to see that Jesus is the ultimate hero. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later today as well as next weekend. But I want to take a moment before we go further to revisit some of the basics of the journey that we've been on. And this will be a review for some of you who have been in this process. You may be able to do this on your own. But for some who maybe haven't been with us, this will be an opportunity for you to catch up. And this journey that we're talking about, as we've been walking through this process, we've come to understand that anytime God wants to do a great work in the world, he first starts to do a great work in us. And we, has, as his people, we, we start here in the physical world. We have a physical body, but we are also spiritual. There is a natural and a supernatural, and sometimes we have a hard time reconciling those two. But because we are made in the image of God, that we're made for more, we know there's a sense that we are made for more, we have this draw. And when we come to know who God is, that begins to change everything. In fact, in Psalm 46.10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. My friends, when we are still before God and we know who He is, then we know who we are in front of Him, and then we begin to understand the greater call to adventure He has on our lives. And so we're able to step into the next process or part of the process, which is to join and we need his help to do that, to move from the natural and cross this line into the supernatural. We need external help. And so through Jesus Christ, we can have a relationship with God. Jesus says there are some things that are not possible for man, but with God, all things are possible. And so through Jesus, we move from knowing to joining and into a time of, of temptation and struggle and, and, and challenge and testing. And this is where we end up in the fight. And the fight is a good fight. It's not even just a fight against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. And as long as we hold fast in that fight, as long as we continue to depend on God, then we can reach a point where we actually live out Exodus 14, 14, which says the, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And when we get to that point, well, then we reach this dying to self moment and we yield at a whole new level. And God does a transformational work in us, and we're no longer the same. But then he positions us to return back into life and live, but living life to the full the way he's made us. As we continue to know and understand and learn how to live into this journey, we do it in greater and deeper ways. This is not a one-and-done journey. This is something that we are called to live through and repeat. In fact, if we don't live through it the first time around, let's say we peel off like in the fight, like I'm just tired, I can't handle this anymore, I don't want to wait anymore, I don't like the pain of this, we just peel off and quit. If we say, I'm not going to join, I'm not going to surrender at this point, I'm not going to join you, I reject the call you have on my life. Whenever we do those things, we end up living lesser lives. 
because God isn't able to do all he wants to do in and through us, and we miss God's best. But when we understand that we are made in the image of God, that we have a purpose beyond us, that we can pray and pursue God, that by his power we can maintain purity, when we do that, then we get to hear God. And he calls us into this adventure. And when we hear this grand thing, this thing that is beyond us, we understand what he's calling to, then we are positioned to risk. And we risk beyond recovery, but not beyond his cover. And that is a critical moment to this journey. Where we understand that God's call to something more means that we step beyond ourselves, but not beyond him. But in that moment, there's a desperation that falls on us. There's a reality that hits us that maybe we don't have within us the ability to do that. We realize that we're actually no longer in control. We can't navigate that on our own. And what ends up happening is fear enters the equation. And we end up having to, to navigate the reality of fear as we continue in this journey. There's a desperation that falls on us. I can't do this. This is beyond me. And our temptation is to take that fear and that desperation and to push it onto people and say, look, I need you to be and do this. I need you to perform here. I need you to not do this to me. I need you to do this for me. And we start to depend on people rather than keeping our dependence on God where he wants it. We push our dependence and our desperation on people when God actually says he wants us to release release people from our desperation. He wants us to release the people around us from the desperation we feel in the call that he has on us. And instead, he wants us to hold fast to him. He wants us to grab hold of him and to refuse to let go until he gives us peace. And so in the midst of the fight, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the temptation, we lay hold of God and we grab hold of him and say, God, I refuse to let go until you give me peace. I am not going to push my desperation on other people. I'm not going to depend on them. I'm going to depend on you. When we do that, then we reach this point of of dying to self, This, this point where we no longer live for ourselves. We no longer live in our power. We actually yield at this level that we never even thought we could, and it positions us where God allows us to remain in him, being transformed in him, his power at work in us, through him, and then that leads to the place where we live, but now we live with the kind of results that only he can bring. This is the hero's journey. When we don't live into this, God isn't able to do all he wants to do in and through us. And our primary focus in this journey is really the first half. This is where we have the greatest influence. This is where we hold and remain And once we do that, God responds and leads and moves through the rest of the process. This is the hero's journey. And this is what we've been talking about as a church family. We started four weeks ago. We've looked at a number of different heroes. We looked at Nathaniel, one of Jesus' disciples. We looked at Jonathan, Nehemiah, and Hezekiah. If you missed any of those, you can go to heritageqc.com and you can get caught up under the media tab, but today we're going to move a little further back uh, the family tree up the genealogy chain to another hero, another person. His name is Abraham. And we're going to see what Christine Kane describes as the reality that God can take an unlikely person, give them an unlikely strategy, and create an unlikely outcome. We're going to see this today in the life of Abraham. So I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn or click to Genesis chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, we'll have the scriptures on the screen, as well as many of them are in your sermon note guide. But as you're turning to Genesis chapter 12, I just want to confess something to you. 
When I was a kid, we went to Sunday school and we sang a song called Father Abraham. Does anybody know it or familiar with it? Oh yeah, quite a few of you. Remember it? Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had father. Okay, that's great. Listen, listen. I could not for the life of me figure out why we were singing about Abraham Lincoln in Sunday school. I couldn't. Until somebody said, it's Abraham in the Bible. And that made a lot more sense. The whole song started to come together for me. I was quick as a kid, man. I was quick. So listen, we're talking about Abraham. Abraham was the first of three patriarchs in the scriptures. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His story is told in 14 chapters in Genesis. But Abraham's original name was not Abraham. His original name was Abram. And it's not uncommon for people to change their name. And we do it today. People get married, they change their name. Sometimes people change their name to hide. Some people even change their names to promote their career. In fact, I want to give you just a couple examples of some people who have changed their name to facilitate their careers. And let's maybe, let's see if you can guess who these people are, if you know them. Here's the first one. Eric Marlin Bishop. Do you know who Eric Marlin Bishop is? Any guesses? No? This is Jamie Foxx. Yeah, how about that? Well-known actor, great actor, Jamie Foxx. Here's another one, Audrey Perry. Do you know who Audrey Perry is? Any guesses? Yeah, yeah I heard uh, Faith Hill. Yeah, Faith Hill. Here's another one, Krishna Banji. No. <laughs> Any guesses, Krishna Banji? You're going to be surprised. Ben Kingsley, another well-known actor. Okay, here's the next one. Bruce, Bruce Wayne? How'd that get in there? I mean, clearly that's Batman, right? Well, that must have slipped in there somehow. But listen, since he's here, superheroes change their name, right? They do it to hide their identity. They do it to inspire people. They even do it to evoke fear in their enemies. But Abraham didn't do any of that. In fact, Abraham wasn't even the one who changed his name. God changed his name. And he did it in Genesis 17. And we're going to get there in a few moments. But let me just say something. For the rest of our time today, I'm going to try to speak of Abraham as Abraham and not go back and forth from Abram to Abraham. <laughs> Just to limit confusion, but I'm going to try to stick with Abraham. I'll read scripture of Abram, but I'm talking about Abraham as we walk through. Does that make sense with me? All right, I'm going to give it a try. We'll see if it works. All right, there is a lot of information about Abraham in scripture. God used him to do some pretty big things, but his story is not all pretty. As much as God used him to do great things, Abraham messed up a lot. He stepped in and out of the hero's journey, both well and poorly more than once. But that didn't negate God's ability to use him. And I want you to know, if you have stepped in and out of this journey poorly, it does not negate God's ability to use you, to use us. Because God goes to unlikely places and uses unlikely people to implement unlikely strategies to accomplish unlikely outcomes. He did that in Abraham's life. In fact, what we know about Abraham is that he's a descendant of Noah. You'd be like, okay, that makes sense. But, but he was a descendant of Noah through Noah's son Shem. In fact, Noah 
to Abraham is a ten-generational gap, or ten generations from Noah to Abraham, which makes Noah Abraham's great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. 892 years from the birth of Noah to the birth of Abraham. And when we pick up Abraham's story, Abraham is doing pretty well. God is actually calling him to a grand adventure. He's calling him out. Look at it with me. This is Genesis 12, starting with verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I, I love it when, when God does that kind of thing. I will show you. That automatically, faith gets sucked into this equation. I will show you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Now, think about this for a moment. This is right here a no moment. The beginning of the hero's journey for Abraham in this season. God says, go, and he goes. And so in this moment, we actually begin to see a reality that ripples through the hero's journey that we have to understand. That faith brings the extraordinary out of the ordinary. Say that with me. Faith brings the extraordinary out of the ordinary. Abraham was an ordinary guy. But because he chose to believe, because he chose to function by faith, God was able to do things in and through him that he couldn't do any other way. Abraham did not know where he was going to go. He was leaving family and language and familiar things to a place yet to be determined, but yet he went. He demonstrated faith, not knowing where he was going. And there are many times in our journey that you and I are positioned to demonstrate faith. There are opportunities where we have the opportunity to obey even when we don't know the destination or the outcome. And when we do that, when we step by faith, then we move from the natural into the supernatural and we're never the same. Abraham went when God said go. He ends up taking his nephew Lot with him and that became a source of conflict more than once. But listen, Abraham had his own challenges along the way. He, he messed up in the journey along the way without anybody else's help. In fact, as he starts out with knowing this call, he joins God, he steps into this journey. What happens in just a few verses later here in, in Genesis chapter 12 is that they enter into Egypt because there's a famine and fear creeps into the equation for, for Abraham. Because Abraham realizes that his wife is beautiful and he's afraid that somebody's going to kill him to get his wife. So fear creeps in, a desperation falls upon him, and instead of releasing those around him from that and refusing to let go of God and depending on God, he pushes his desperation onto his wife, Sarah, and he says, look, let's just pretend you're my sister. Then I won't get hurt. And they do that. You see what happens? Pharaoh takes her into his harem. It's crazy. When fear overrides faith, when that desperation falls and overrides our faith, we end up living lesser lives. Now, now God redeems them out of that. God, God forgives them. God rescues them out of that scenario. They end up leaving Egypt. They actually leave Egypt with a woman named Hagar, and she's going to show up later in the story. And they head out. And God actually calls Abraham back into this journey in Genesis 15. He says, Abraham, look up. You see all those stars? I'm going to make you a father of nations. You're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the heaven. And, and, he, and he invites Abraham into this journey. 
And, and, and Abraham believes. In Genesis 15, 6, it says that, that Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. It's a beautiful moment. Faith brings the extraordinary out of the ordinary. He believed until he got into the fight again, until he got into the waiting. Because as time went by, you see, Abraham didn't have a, a son yet. And as he got older, the desperation started to push in. The fear that maybe this promise wouldn't come to be started to push in on him and his wife, Sarah. And instead of releasing people from that and depending on God, they pushed that desperation onto Hagar. And they come up with a grand idea that Abraham should sleep with Hagar to start that, that lineage and those descendants. And so in Genesis 16, he does. She gets pregnant. She has a son named Ishmael. And Ishmael becomes the father of the Arab nations. Not God's original design. And we don't release people from our desperation and we don't depend on God. We end up living lesser lives. When, when fear overtakes our faith, God isn't able to do all he wants to do in our lives. See, faith, as Hebrews 11 says it, is being sure of what we hope for and certain what we do not see. Faith shapes, faith or the lack of faith, shapes the ordinary and the extraordinary in our lives. And Abraham and Sarah failed to refuse to let go of God and depend on him and instead pushed their desperation upon to Hagar and stepped out of the journey. Faith is what brings the extraordinary out of the ordinary. But even in the midst of all that, God never gave up on Abraham. He still wanted to use Abraham. In fact, in Genesis 17, Abraham is now 99 years old. God shows up and he says, I am God Almighty. I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. And in that moment, God is once again calling Abraham back into the journey calling him to a pattern of behavior that he wants him to live, not the pattern he's been living in. And this is when he gives him a new name. He gives him a new opportunity. There's this beautiful covenant that God establishes there, and out of it comes Isaac, the chosen son, the, the heir that God originally intended. The result God wanted and could bring about. Look, God's sized results are, are only realized in the context of trust and obedience. Only in the context of trust and obedience. On our own, you and I, we fail. We sin, we lie. In our fear and in our brokenness, we betray. But God still wants to use us. He wants to show himself faithful in our unfaithfulness. And one of the hardest parts of this journey, in the hero's journey, is the point right between fight and yield right at that point between fight and yield, where we're growing weary, where we're tempted to quit, where we're tempted to run, we're tempted to walk away, where that's where we stop short. Especially when we don't understand why the waiting. Especially when we don't understand why the difficulty or why the pain. Or, or even more so when we realize that whatever difficulty and pain we're facing, that God has either orchestrated or allowed in our life. When we get to that point in the journey, that will rock your world. To realize that that pain, that hardship, that difficulty, that God has either orchestrated or allowed it. What happens in that moment is we are tempted to quit and run rather than yield. 
But anytime we do that, we live lesser lives. Don't run. Yield. Because here's the thing. God will often seek to wreck a life, an ordinary life, before he turns it into an extraordinary one. Jesus will often seek to dismantle a life before he saves it. Jesus will seek to wreck an ordinary life to make it into an extraordinary one. It's not always a fun process, but it is a powerful one. God will often seek to wreck an ordinary life before he turns it into an extraordinary one. Let's go back to Abraham's journey for a moment. Abraham, in chapter 12, heard the call of God and went, but then he hit Egypt and he did the whole, my wife is my sister thing, so God had to call him back in Genesis 15 and say, stars, I'll make you a a father of nations. He steps back into that, he continues, but then he gets to Genesis 16 and the whole Hagar thing and Ishmael comes out of that. And then God says in Genesis 16, Abraham, come back. Listen, I love you. I have a plan and a purpose for you. This is bigger than you. Join me in this. Depend on me in it. And Abraham does. And Abraham is actually, as he gets to the point where he's learned something that he he never really knew before, a level of dependence. See, remember, this is not a a once-and-done cycle. God seeks to continue to teach us as we go through it. And Abraham had reached a point where he had grown enough that God was about to take him to a space and to a level of yielding that he never even imagined he could go. He had to take him to a point of yielding deeper than Abraham ever believed was possible so that he could be the father of nations and influence generations to come. He had to take him there. And God does. And he does it in Genesis 22. Look with me, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to, said to him, Abraham, here I am. I love it when Abraham says that, that posture of here I am. He replied, Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. On a mountain, I will show you. Now, here, this is a familiar moment. I will show you, right? Sounds familiar, but this whole thing sounds crazy. What's interesting about this, that, that you're going to take a man that God has called out, blessed, anointed, positioned to be the patriarch of nations, uh, you would think that he would prepare him by developing his knowledge, developing his skills, raising his level of prominence in the world, or even giving him more kids. But that's not how God chooses to develop his heroes. God develops his heroes by teaching them dependence. And in this moment, God is saying to Abraham, I want you to kill the thing you most love. Something that I have given you. Something that I had promised to you. And is the very thing that was essential for God's greater purposes, the whole stars and reality of his lineage, to be realized and fulfilled. From, from no perspective, from any no human perspective, does this make any sense. But God will take an unlikely person give them an unlikely strategy, and create an unlikely outcome. So Abraham travels to the place that God would eventually show him, and it took three days. I can't imagine the mental journey Abraham had in those three days, the kind of conversations he was having with God. You may think it would seem cruel, 
But remember, our God will often limit results or delay outcomes to teach us dependence. He will limit results to teach us dependence. And these three days were part of that process for Abraham. And so they get there. They, they arrive at the site. And, and when they arrive, this is what happens. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Let me just hold right there. Is he lying? No. He is depending. He is believing. He is believing that a God, can, a God who loves him can do the impossible. That even though it doesn't make sense to him, even though he doesn't see the outcome, that through his obedience is where God brings the results. And so he continues. As the two of them went off together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Abraham answered, Yes, my son. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham replied, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. This is a critical moment in the journey of Abraham. It is a key moment. He is, by faith, risking beyond recovery. He is releasing his desperation from people. And he is depending on God as he refuses to let go. It is an incredible demonstration of a level of faith that I don't believe Abraham thought was even possible in his life. But he's going to yield so he can remain. Demonstrating faith at a whole new level. Trusting God to bring the results. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Listen. The idea of, of yielding isn't just quitting. It's not just being done. Yielding is not just saying even we can't. Yielding is not just saying we can't. It's not just saying I'm done, I had enough, I have no more to give. It's not just saying we can't, but rather making the way for the one who can. There's a difference between quitting and, a difference and, and yielding. And what God calls us to is a place where we yield. It's not just acquiescing, it's actually getting out of the way. It's not just agreeing, okay, I finally give up, God, I'm going to, okay, I agree. It's actually submitting, your will, not mine. It's not just letting go, it's actually offering up. It's not just saying, I'm going to open my hands. It's actually saying, I'm opening my hands and I'm lifting it to you. I submit, I surrender, your will, not mine. Yielding is not just saying we can't but making a way for the one who can. And until we yield, the full power of God is not at work in our life. It's not. And in this story, we go back to where Abraham was. They get to that spot. They build the altar. They put the wood on it. Abraham binds Isaac, lifts him, and places him on the wood. I mean, this is an intense moment. Look what happens next. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Yielding is not just saying we can't 
but making way for the one who can, where he can bring results. Listen, our mistakes have consequences in life. But however horrible you may think your mistakes are, you can start again with God. No matter how many times you have tried and failed, you can still experience new life in Jesus. On the back of your sermon out guide, there are some steps to move through that process. But it's an opportunity where we step into knowing who God is, that we are sinners before him, that we're in need of a savior. We join him in relationship through Jesus Christ. And then we're positioned with his power and his purpose to persevere and win victoriously in the fight as we remain and yield to him so that he can bring the results. The first half of the journey and the hero's journey is where we have the greatest influence. It's also where the enemy has the greatest influence. But the second half of the journey is where God shows up in response to what we do and he does the impossible. Listen, God may be asking you to do something that you struggle to understand right now. It may require a new level of faith and dependence. But what you do in response will either make a way for him to move or not. You either continue in the journey or you'll peel off and have to start over. Abraham's life was marked by serious mistakes that had huge consequences. Yet he was called the father of our faith and the friend of God. Not because he never messed up, but because he yielded. He yielded. He learned to depend on God. He was no longer afraid of what it might cost him or the risk or the sacrifice associated with it. His trust was in God, not himself. It wasn't even in what he possessed or what he had achieved. He offered it all to God and he yielded. And yielding is not just saying we can't, but making the way for the one who can. And I wonder where you need to make way for the one who can in your life today. What needs to be offered for you to be more? That thing or that person that, that is more important to you than him. That thing that needs to be wrecked in your life so you can be whole. What needs to be offered for you to be more? Let's, let's move this into the so what part of our conversation. Look, it starts with understanding that belief allows us to join. Belief allows us to join, but yielding positions us to remain. Yielding positions us to remain. Check this out. You would think that after that debacle in Egypt, when, when Abraham lied about Sarah to Pharaoh in, in Genesis chapter 12, you think he would have learned his lesson, like that's something I never want to try again. But, but in Genesis 20, he does. He does it again in the land of the Philistines. He lies to save himself. Fear overtook his faith again. And he says, Sarah is my sister. And so the king takes her to be his wife. It's crazy. Now, belief allows us to join. But yielding positions us to remain. God forgives Abraham, but there is always an implication to sin. Always an implication to sin. And God doesn't even always remove those implications. Some of the implications of this would be obvious. Like his relationship with Sarah had to be just strained based on those two moments. Beyond that, Abraham's reputation in, in this region was damaged. His witness to the Philistines was compromised. 
Just consider the number of Philistines that, God, that Abraham led to relationship with God. It's roughly about zero. And that's really sad. Because the Israelites maybe wouldn't have had all the trouble they had with the Philistines if this had gone differently. Maybe Goliath would have been David's friend. I don't know. That's all speculation. But here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. Abraham's sin leached into his gene pool. It affected generations to come. And and the reality is if we have a weakness, the chances of our children having that same weakness are, are greatly increased. It happened in Abraham's family. Listen, because his son Isaac had the same weakness. And in, in Genesis 26, Isaac goes down the same path, <laughs> ironically facing the same king, and says, Rebecca is my sister. That king had to want to run from that family every time he saw him. Listen, my friends, if you have a weakness and a struggle in your life, yield and remain. If for no other reason, do it for the sake of your kids and generations to come. Stop a pattern. Jesus can free you and give you the power to overcome it. He can help you break that cycle. In Genesis, excuse me, in John 15, 4, he says this, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Belief allows us to join, but yielding positions us to remain with his power at work in our lives. Jesus will help you if you ask him. In fact, that leads us to the next reality, that that yielding unleashes the power of God to fully work in your life. When we yield, it unleashes the power of God to fully work in our lives. Jesus continues by saying this in verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Look, we will bear. It says we will bear fruit. We will have results if we remain in him. It doesn't say we'll bear fruit now. In fact, timing is often determined outside and after our obedience. And know this, without obedience, there is no fruit, at least not good fruit. I'd go so far as to say that delayed obedience is disobedience. I know that from being a kid. When my parents told me to go do something and I didn't go when they told me to do it, guess what? I got in trouble. Delayed obedience is disobedient. Yielding, uh, disobedience and yielding unleashes the power of God to fully work in our life. And it's easy to think that we have failed so many times that it's impossible to go back, that there is no way to go back. But listen, God has made a way. He is slow to anger and abounding in love. He is not derailed by or subject to our mistakes. There is a way. It is Jesus. And Abraham made mistakes. He lied. He let fear take over. And that is not a pattern to mimic, but there is a reality to understand in it that that the grace of God gives us another chance even when it seems ridiculous to do so. God can still accomplish his plans through you. Whether you have made a thousand mistakes and have had a thousand new starts that have all ended in failure, as long as you are alive, grace is still an option. And you can start again in Jesus. But you need to believe God. You need to move through this journey. You need to understand who he is. 
You need to trust him. You need to hear what he has to say to you. When you hear his call and you step in and join through a relationship with Jesus, then you hold. You hold fast to him. You do not let him go. As long as you remain there, he will give you the ability to hope in the midst of that. And then ultimately you will have the results and the fruit that God wants to bring in your life. This is the hero's journey. This is a journey that Jesus has modeled. Even in this reality of that first Palm Sunday through the rest of Passion and Holy Week, repeated moments where Jesus yielded and yielded, knowing, knowing what God had sent him to do, submitted to the will of the Father, fought and remained depending on God, not pushing his desperation on people, but crying out to God in the garden saying, help me, but remaining to the point of yielding to the point that God could bring the results. And it would be life. And not just life through resurrection for Jesus, but life for us through his resurrection. In Genesis with Abraham, a son was to be offered, but that death was stopped. In Passion and Holy Week, as we move towards Easter, another only son will be offered, but this one is not stopped. Because through that yielding and through that death, you and I can have life. And we can live this journey in increasing and deeper ways. What needs to be offered for you to be more this week, this Easter? God still goes to unlikely places, uses unlikely people with unlikely strategies to bring about unlikely outcomes. My prayer is that you will be a person who journeys through the cycle in a way where he's able to do far more than you and I could ever ask or imagine. What needs to be offered this week for you to be more? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather with your people. I am grateful for your love. I pray, Father, that you would help all of us, my brothers and sisters, myself included, to hear you, to hold fast to you, to hope in you, and to have the God-sized results you want to bring in our life, not just for our benefit, but for your glory. So, Father, whatever needs to be offered this week, whatever we need to yield to you, surrender to you, lift it before you and say, your will, not mine. May you be able to do that. Show us, teach us. God, we're all in that journey. Some of us may be in the fight right now, ready to quit. Give us the strength to remain in you. Some may have already quit, stepped out, and don't know where to begin. Lead them back to your love and to your purpose. And there may even still be some, Father, who have yet to take the first step of knowing you through your Son. May this weekend be the moment that they do, even now in these next few moments as we step back into worship. So, Father, I thank you for the, the story of Abraham with all the dirty laundry included because I think that's not just for drama, God. You did that to tell us more about yourself than Abraham. And help us understand ourselves before you. So may you be glorified in all we say and do. I love you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.